There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Devannon Hubert is the author of Sex, Drugs and Jesus, a memoir about his struggles with drug addiction, drug dealing, homelessness, serving in the armed forces, contracting HIV and Hep B, and rejection from his church for his sexuality. Devannon is also the author of Don't Call Me a Christian, a book about his views on the catastrophe that is modern Christianity. Devannon also hosts a podcast, Sex, Drugs and Jesus, and is the founder of Down Under Apparel, a lingerie brand for men and women. Among many of the milestones in his life, Devannon is also an honourably discharged veteran of the United States Air Force. His story is one of survival, salvation and sass, and one we could all learn from, no matter our path in life. Welcome, Devannon, to The Ethical Evolution. Hello, my sweets. How (laughs) are you? How are you? I am so excited to be with you right now. Um, like, uh, yeah, this I have been waiting for this moment for us to chat for quite some time. Um, and yes, I think we're going to have an amazing conversation. So um, for those people who haven't heard of you, can you go ahead and tell us who you are and what you do? Well, hello, everyone. My name is Devan and Hubert, and I'm the host of the Sex, Drugs, and Jesus podcast. Um, the website is sexdrugsandjesus.com. It's all there. I write books. I have a memoir out, blog. I also am a very naughty boy because I run a kinky lingerie store, lingerie store, which is called Down Under Apparel over at downunderapparel.com. So I'm an author, a retailer, and a storyteller. And you are one incredible human. How ironic is it that you've called it Down Under Apparel and I'm here in Australia? <laughs> Australia Australia is one of the next two countries I'm headed to. Is either, I'm either going to land my behind in uh, Egypt first or in Australia because there's another podcast host down there in Sydney. I don't know if you've heard of her. She's called, her name is Tanya Levine. And she runs a podcast called the Leaving Hillsong Podcast. And she's following mm. all the debacle from Brian Houston and the Hillsong Church. And, and so I need to connect y'all too. That hasn't happened yet because that she's sounds a incredible. Hoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we need to do a panel of some sort. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> now, mm. sex, drugs, and Jesus. Um, uh, you um, gra- gracefully shared uh, the book with me. I've been listening to the audio book um, and absolutely loving it. When I'm driving in my car, I'm listening to your voice. Um, and I, I'm just sitting there on the edge of my seat with you um, through your story. Um, and there's, you've been through so much in your life already. Um, take us through the story from the beginning. 
Hmm. Well, I mean, it all starts out in the hood. You know, I was raised in the hood, you know, crack houses on the left, crack houses on the right, that sort of thing. Syringes floating down the street whenever it rains and, it, <sighs> you know, the street would flood. I just thought it was normal, but my parents never let me out of the yard because I almost got kidnapped one time when I was a kid. You know, this stranger drives up to the house. He intentionally dumps out his cup of water. I don't know, I'm like four or five or some some dumbass kid age like that. I go running up there and I'm like, oh my God, it's water. It was just the most catastrophic thing for like a five-year-old. But while I'm like losing my shit and having a total meltdown because this guy who I don't even know his water spill and he tries to grab me and stuff me in the car and run off. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so my sister yelled loud enough to scare him and she does have a boisterous voice. <laughs> and... um. And so, you know, that's how it all starts. There's lots of physical abuse, verbal abuse growing up, adulterous dad, you know, cheating dad, that sort of thing. You know, that's how it it starts in a very chaotic, catastrophic. I can now look back on it and call it traumatic childhood. Mm. Mm. And so, you know, you uh, went to church and when you were growing up, you realized that you were gay and the church didn't accept you. How how did how did that all end up for you? Like, did you continue with the church? Are you still continuing with the church? How do you feel about the church and and its ideals? Well, the key the key word you said was went to church. My main mission in life, I can sum it up like this: fuck the church, yay Jesus. <laughs> so, fuck the church and yay Jesus. Our um. I grew up in the Pentecostal church in the southern parts of Louisiana. Mm. And yeah, they always preached against the gays, but I never saw them throw any gay people out. That shit started happening when I went over to the non-denominational side of things. And so how it all ended was when I was serving at Lakewood Church. Now, Lakewood Church is the largest church here in the United States. They're on the same level of like, say, your Hillsong Church. Mm -hmm. They do a lot of interchanging work and stuff like that and so I was serving there and you know I applied to get a job there they looked at my MySpace page found out I was queer then they were like oh my god we can't have this and they like fired me from volunteering you know and all of that um besides they, they used to call me in the office anyway and poke around and try to ask me who I was dating and stuff like that you know all this just to come work for free and so once I got fired from volunteering at Lakewood Church I stopped going to church for years. I got hard into drugs because I didn't realize how traumatizing it is to be kicked out of a ministry that you've given mm. really too much of yourself to. And I was there like a good 10, at least 10 hours a week, you know, just working for free. I was married to that church. It felt like a divorce or a, just a, 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 a just an acidic breakup or something like that. And so that ended it. I didn't go to church again until I was in rehab for like a crystal meth addiction, like five years later. And then it never was the same. After I got kicked out of Lakewood Church, it never had that ring. Never felt like I could belong again, no matter how hard I tried. Mm. So your drug addiction, and, you know, there's there's a couple of things here as well. And you, you were also diagnosed with HIV. Um, uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and what I picked up from the book is, is the shame around that, you know, you felt dirty, you felt ashamed, um, which probably fueled your drug addiction. 
um, and you were just looking for the next numb, the next hit, um, whatever it was. And um, just <laughs> I, I recall um, you telling the story about the, the SWAT team breaking into your apartment looking for drugs. And, oh, my God, that must have been traumatic in itself. <laughs> well, when you sell as much dope as I was, you <laughs> tend to draw attention to yourself. And then I had the nerves, the balls to be a flashy ass gay drug dealer. And so, <laughs> you know, because I, I drove this super white Mustang. It was the year they changed the body style to like kind of what it is now. I was the first person in Houston as the car salesman told me to have this snow white Mustang with football le- brown leather interior. You know, I got all these things before I was a drug dealer. And although my suppliers and my meth cooks were trying to get me to let these things go, I was like, I can't let it go. I love my lifestyle. You know, I'm at the club seven nights a week. Shit that you should not be doing Mm. if you're selling drugs. You know, and I was selling everything, crack, cocaine, uh, ecstasy, molly, you know, crystal meth, at least four or five different types of meth on me at all times. I had your syringes. I had your pipes. I had whatever the fuck you needed. My store was called Drugs or Us. And bitch, I had it. You want it? I got it. And so, <laughs> and so I drew enough attention to myself to make SWAT come and kick my door in. They had an informant they sent in to, to snitch me out and to set me up and everything like that. And yeah, it was hella dramatic. So why did I keep doing this? Even ignore the warnings. People kept telling me I was going to get caught because I was lonely and I was trying to fill that void that was left in me after I got kicked out of Lakewood Church. Mm. I did not realize how much we as people must have community. It doesn't matter if it's a gang, if it's the, the, the orgies you go to two or three nights a week, if it's your cute little church group, your, your Wiccan seance, you know, meeting, whatever the hell it is, we're always going to find some kind of way to congregate with people. So what I should have done once I got kicked out of church, I went sitting my ass in front of a therapist and found me a gay affirming church. But I didn't know about gay affirming churches or mental health at that time. Instead, I went to the streets, found the new family, and I found that I could be better accepted in a drug house than I could in a church house. And so I went where the judgment wasn't. And so I went where I was accepted. And so SWAT comes in. At least 20, 40 different armed men, Cavalier vests, face shields, semi-automatic rifles, canine dogs, all of it, all the gay slurs, all the gay abuse, all of that. Yes, very traumatic. And so you you actually did some jail time, didn't you? <laughs> I got four <laughs> felonies um, and I went to jail one, two, yeah, three times. The first time was overnight. The second time was a week. The second time was two months. Honey, let me tell you, 60 days in this type of jail that I was in in Harris County, Houston, Texas, felt like years because you couldn't go outside. I couldn't go outside at all, not even for one second. So for so for 60 days, there's no sunlight, mm. no moonlight, no air, no wind, no rain, just stale jail air. That's all I was exposed to. There was no sky. I lost all sense of like balance. In time, I consider that to be inhumane. Mm. You know, even people walk their dogs every day. But if you're at this jail, they won't even much let you poke your nose through a hole in the wall to get a breath of fresh air. (laughs) And now I'm also cramped up in here with 60 other queens, you know, transsexual people. It was a big gay tank. And honey, it was this 
fucking dramatic as you can <laughs> imagine. <laughs> oh, that's another whole book, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Orange is the new black queer edition. Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready to star in that. I'm ready to star in that. Send me my contract. <laughs> oh, I can just see it now. <laughs> So you also did time in the military. Tell us about that. You 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 did quite well, call, didn't you? I would call it doing time. Just like in jail, the mm. military was like serving a fucking prison sentence because you're not I wasn't free to be myself. I made the mistake you know of going in there when I was 17. I don't advise that to somebody because a young man is still developing at the age of 17. And I was thrown in there at 17 around a whole bunch of adult males. A lot of them had families. A lot of them were further along in life. They hated me because I represented a decision that they did not make. Because they're 23, 30 years old. I'm 17. So they're mad that I got to jump on life. So I was on the, on the receiving end of a lot of bitterness, hate, and jealousy from day one. So this is during Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which in the United States was that government policy that prevented people in the military from speaking about their queerness. If it came out, you could be discharged from the military just on the basis of who you love. Fortunately, that policy is no longer there, so you can be as gay as you fucking want in the military. I'm happy for them, but it wasn't that way for me. I was in there for six years. I did do well in my job. I worked on aircraft, C-130 Hercules cargo aircraft, intelligence aircrafts out in the deserts of Arizona which is a state here in the United States. And then I moved over and became a recruiter in Southern California. And that's when I was working in Los Angeles and fell in love with my favorite city in the world. I was telling my dear sweet host here, you know, one day I'm going to talk to, talk, talk, talk to them. And I'll be like, I'm coming to you from my new house in Los Angeles. And so, um, I'll come visit you. Well, (laughs) come stay, come stay. It's all about like sharing and stuff in California. So I did well professionally in the military, but I always clashed with the authority. Mm. Mm. Always. So, you know, it's been such a mixed bag for you. And to look at you now, you you know, you also do podcasting. You've got the book out. Um, you're telling your story. And, and just that alone, you know, like I've seen so many people who have gone through journeys of, of pain um, and turn them into purpose. What would you say your purpose is now? My primary purpose is to illustrate for people that you can have a close relationship with God and you don't ever have to step foot in the church. Mm. So I fight against religious trauma because I don't want people to make the same mistake I did and associate Jesus with pastors and preachers and churches. So um, so if I was more mature back when I got kicked out of Lakewood, I still would have continued my relationship with God rather than letting that bad experience sever me from my creator. You see, and see, we get all emotional and we start blaming God for shit he didn't do. Mm. And then it only ends up hurting us. And so I don't want people to let, to become bitter like I did, or even if it's not something they went to, some friends of mine who are straight won't go to church because of how they see churches do their queer friends. Mm. I'm like, okay, cool. I don't blame you. Churches are really fucked up places, but don't let that stop you from get, getting to know God on your own. You know, 
Because your most personal time with God always should have been by yourself anyway, not in the middle of a fucking sanctuary with lasers and fog. You know, you don't need all that. <laughs> it's cute, but you don't need all that. <laughs> and, you know, like there's so many organized religions uh, that are quite toxic, you know, like um, the the beliefs, like uh, that's the stuff that wars are made of, you know, like the, the history, that's where wars start. Yeah, with religion, because religion has all all to do with control. Mm. You know, in religion and politics, they make terrible bedfellows, but they don't seem to want to get out of bed with each other. Mm. You know, politicians piggyback off of religious people and then vice versa. Like when that terrible, terrible war on drugs here in the United States came from the White House, I think the Nixon administration, the church echoed that. You know, they started preaching against drugs and stuff like that, you know, without giving anybody any sort of alternative. Suddenly weed was the devil and the politicians were telling you this in the church with no proof that it was just fear mongering. Mm. So yeah, many wars have started from it throughout history. The one I hate the most is the war on drugs because that was just bullshit and nonsense. And the church echoed that all, and they still do. And it hasn't made any difference. It's actually made things worse, hasn't it? Like, you know, addiction is still on the rise. Um, dealing is still on the rise. So nothing's changed. And it won't. And the fucked up part is the government created, you know, you know, some of these drugs like your methamphetamines and, you know, things like that. Well, that was a product of the military in Japan, <laughs> you know, mm. you know, and then, you know, it caught on, you know, the government put these drugs out in the streets and then they come for people for wanting to use it. Well, we had a taste of it and now we like it. We're not going to stop. It's too late for that. Mm. And so <laughs> it's too late for that. You know, fortunately, we have one state here that has decriminalized all drugs, Oregon, you know, as a trial, you know, I've been up there since, the, you know, since that has changed and it's pretty, it's pretty wild up there, but, you know, people are, are just doing what they would have done anyway. Mm. You know, um, we're getting more hallucinogenics legalized here. So slowly we are tipping the scale. You know, you can go get a ketamine infusion pretty much in any state now. You know, shrooms, psilocybin, LSD, mm. you know, they're doing clinical trials on that till the talks are happening. You know, we're a long way still from cocaine and crystal meth being legalized nationally, but everything is headed that way. I'm not judging anybody for whatever it is that you do. What I am saying is not the government's fucking business what you do. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> or they, the churches. Or the churches. They like to get up in our business, don't they? Um, you know, how do you feel about drugs now uh, and, and how are you going with your sobriety? I don't believe in, like, sobriety as a, as a term because I, I did the crystal meth anonymous and the narcotics anonymous and the alcoholics anonymous because when I was in one of the stupidest fucking shits, I was, I'm in rehab because I'm a fucking meth fiend. And the best program you can send me to is Alcoholics Anonymous. And they're all like, well, just pretend you're talking about drugs and read the book. I'm like, okay. And so <laughs> I'm like, but I don't have an alcohol problem, but okay. And so, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> that's how it goes here in, the, <laughs> in these, you know. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> the way you're shaking your head—you <laughs> <laughs> know—they just give you whatever they have lying around and expect you to get better in, in, in the United States. And so, 
I I take more of a, an approach like my uh, my friends over this nonprofit called Face It Together do. They believe sobriety looks different for different people. Mm. So for some person, for one person, it might be stopping it all. For another person, it might be doing it less. Mm-hmm. For another person, it might be doing a less intense drug. You know, it's whatever works for that person. I'm not going to put everybody into this same mode. For me, right now where I'm at is I'm trying to get away from like any kind of like uppers. So with all this research, like I'm a military veteran, definitely some PTSD anxiety going on. So they're finding, you know, LSD, psilocybin, you know, hallucinogenics that were illegal actually can benefit us Mm. and take the nightmare and the pain away. You know, I'm experimenting with all of that. Um, Fucking CBD, you know, weed products, you know, that's, that's where I'm at right now, Mm. you know, trying to see how I can heal through using different drugs. It's funny. I was actually just talking to someone yesterday who um, has a PhD in hallucinogenics and uh, does a lot of work with psilocybin, ayahuasca, all those kind of things to help people treat those kind of things. So it's becoming more mainstream and it's actually breaking through the barriers um, that other treatments don't get to, you know, like it, it reaches a whole other level of consciousness and healing that nothing else does. It does, and it's natural. You know, a lot of it, shit, all of it comes out of the earth or, like, mm. or grows on something out of the earth, you know. It's stuff that the government should never have regulated. Like, how in the fuck is a weed plant going to grow and the government decide they're going to come in and commandeer it and decide that it's dangerous, burn it down when they want to, and tell everyone not to touch it? Mm. You, we didn't create that in a lab, you know, this the God you suppose in this supposedly Christian nation, quote unquote, decided to create this plant. Now, just because we could, can get high off of it. OK, God put that ability in there. He could have made it like lettuce if he didn't <laughs> want us to have any other effects. So why come and, you know, they take control of shit that's not yours. Mm. None of that. None of it. The shrooms. The fucking the LSD comes off of like a, a mold that grows on wheat, as I understand it. The mm. the different indigenous things, like you said, the ayahuasca and different things they snort, all of this comes out of the earth. You know, it is not for mankind to come and decide to do with what God put here. Yeah. And it's just like governments actually telling uh, you know, uh gay people whether they can get married. Like that don't even get me started on that one. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, they've done a real bang up job the straight people they are the epitome of what a relationship is supposed to look <laughs> like right with their 15 divorces um you know and all of that they go from one husband and wife to another and then turn around and judge the gays girl bye <laughs> <laughs> when you get it right come and talk to us <laughs> right <laughs> And one thing I always like to point out, like the world serial killers, like our Jeffrey Dahmers, our Jack the Rippers, you know, these people came from straight marriages and mm. unions, not the gays didn't put no damn serial killers in the world. Uh-uh. No, bitch. <laughs> Don't blame that shit on us. And you like to blame every fucking thing on us, but you did that. Your fucked up household turned out these damn serial killers. We are not dangerous. No more dangerous to children than you are, boo. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Now, you know, uh, looking at your book, Sex, Drugs and Jesus, what would you say is the number one lesson 
for anyone that might read it. The overall lesson is I did this fucked up shit. I hope you don't do it too. <laughs> That's the overall lesson. There's a lot of different fucked up shit. And so everybody's going to have to read through there and see what fucked up shit they can identify with. But the whole thing is a warning. Like, don't do this. <laughs> Red flashing lights. I'm waving all the yellow flags and twirling, death dropping, back flipping, whatever the hell it is it takes to get your attention. Don't make the same mistake. Fucking please don't. It's mm. terrible. Now, no <laughs> doubt there would have been times through all of you, all of the things you've been through. My God, like the the list is incredible. Like all the things you've been through, surely there must have been times where you went, I can't do this shit anymore. Like seriously, I can't go on. Like how did you keep going? It was through a mighty hand and an outstretched arm as the saying goes, you know, um, it was my pastor, my evangelist Nelson, you know, you know, my mom really, really helping me. I could not come up from being homeless and living on the streets and sleeping in the backs of cars and shitting on myself as I went about the day, you know, in that fallen mental state of degradation that I was in without a, a team of people. I had my two moms the Department of Veterans Affairs, all kinds of government agencies, free housing, you know, all it took all of that to bring one person back to life. And it took about 10 years for me to begin to feel a sense of normalcy from the time I got that terrible HIV diagnosis, which was left on a voicemail on my phone on New Year's Eve, like almost 10 years ago, telling me I'm HIV positive. Um, if I was an evil person, I might say, I hope that doctor burns in hell but I want to be all, you know, Jesus-like and be like, hopefully he's in a better place in his spirit now and stops leaving people's positive HIV diagnoses on the phone on New Year's Eve. At least let them get to the fucking New Year shit. And so, <laughs> so to answer your question, <laughs> to answer your question, it took a team of people and it wasn't me. You know, mm -hmm. I had to, I, I went from a, a 30 to $70 an hour job as a, as a city electrician working on substations to a janitor having to work my way back up cleaning in a medical clinic, the department of veteran affairs, veterans affairs, medical clinic, literally cleaning up people's piss, shit, blood, guts, and gore. Mm. So I had to minimum wage it back up with four felonies. So I couldn't get a job anywhere. So then that's why I had to create down under apparel. And that's why I'm a serial entrepreneur because I cannot let myself be in a position where my all of my finances is contingent upon whether or not a motherfucker is going to pay me. Mm. Because bitches like the judge, they like judge you for your past. Mm. And you know, to look at you now, like, uh, like, congratulations to you. You are a shining beacon of just how someone can come out of the ashes and be the phoenix. Really, you are. No. child, <laughs> it ain't nothing. But I, I would always give the glory to God who carried me over through this and was patient with me and showed me mercy. And even though I was back on probation, you know, back in Louisiana on probation, breaking all the laws, he never saw fit to let me fall back into trouble again. And so through this, I learned great mercy. You know how to show people a lot of mercy because I received so much mercy. And so I'm not quick to judge people. I just don't judge people at all. And I was a, I was a, I was a, I was a, a judgy little queen, you know, before I went through everything. And so I'm thankful to have gone through all this because it humbled my fucking Sagittarius ass down. 
and, and it, it taught me how to slow down for other people and stuff like that. So I'm happy everything has gone the way it has. Mm, yeah. Well, I guess, you know, it, everything happens as it's meant to and it unfolds as it as it must. Um, now, Devanan, if people want to get your book and get in touch with you, um, where can they go? Sexdrugsandjesus.com. It's all there. It's easy to find. Now, last big question for you. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? I want people to leave other people alone and mind your own fucking business. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and all the Karens and all the Cans just fell off their stools because they don't have a life apart from meddling in other people's affairs. But, um... How can we make people stop fucking with other people? <laughs> Die. Like, like we just can't. <laughs> like, that's just always going to be be there. Like, there is no way to do that that I can see. It just people have to get, get into enough trouble meddling in around in other people's affairs that they stop. Mm. That That's what I want. I want something that is unattainable. <laughs> well... Let's just hope they listen to this, eh? <laughs> Look, you have been an absolute ray of light. Thank you so much for being a part of the ethical evolution. Here's the evolution, my dear. Thank you so much for having uh, me. Numerous and superfluous blessings be upon you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Electricast. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric Acid.